The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo, pod.go, at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast, Guys Guys Radio, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Okay, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Lyme disease. I mean, that's something that can really tick you off. Oops, sorry about that. No pun intended. And it's not a funny subject, actually. Lyme disease is a chronic uh, illness that affects so many people, and so many people don't really understand what they have, what Lyme disease is, and what to do about it. So we've got a very special guest who's a real expert. His name is Daniel A. Kinderlayer, MD. He's a noted Lyme disease specialist. He's been doing this for decades. He's written this really great book called Recovery from Lyme Disease, The Integrative Medicine Guide to Diagnosing and Treating Tick-Borne Illness, How to Recognize and Overcome Chronic Infection. So if you have any questions about Lyme disease or you ever wondered, like, what is it? How do you get it? What do I do about it if I get it? Or I have it, or I'm not sure if I have it or not. There's a lot of tips we're going to give you today, and Dr. Kinder Lehrer's book has a lot of answers for you and can point you in some of the right directions and give you some considerations because Lyme disease is not something you want to get, yet so many people have it and are not aware that the illness that they have and the symptoms they have actually come from uh, being bit by a tick maybe years ago. It's just a very insidious malady. So we're going to get to the bottom of that today as best we can and help everybody out. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, what's been going on? Well, some good news, a little teaser here. Since Guys Guys Radio is doing so well and people really seem to enjoy the show, I have been asked actually by one of my upcoming guests to become the host of his show. So I'm going to be hosting another show. I'll have details on it. I want to do one show, get it under my belt, see how that goes. And if it becomes an ongoing gig, which I'm pretty sure it will, it's, it's going to be a worldwide show. It's going to be live. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's going to be across Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube. It's going to reach a heck of a lot of people. And it's in the category of helping and learning and really being able to keep yourself in a position to maintain balance and wellness and have that energy flowing through you. So a couple little hints there. It's not Reiki, but 
It's something that it's about energy, and I can't wait to do it, and it's such an honor, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So we'll have more about that in the uh, upcoming weeks, but it's, it's happening soon, and I will let you know, and we'll be promoting it, and we'll get it out there for you. So what else is happening? Well, we're into May now. The weather has changed. We're finally, in Southern California, it seems like May becomes summer. I'm used to the East Coast where summer starts like June, July, August. That's pretty much it. You get you get a good May. Uh, it's not as warm, though. And then in September, it starts to tail off. And then you never know. It's a mixed bag in October and, and in April. But out here in sunny Southern California, it's pretty nice most of the year. But it really gets nice uh, May, June, July, August, September, October, right up, right up and through Thanksgiving, in my opinion. Some people say that May and June are kind of gloomy in the San Diego area. I have not really experienced that when they say partly cloudy. It's sunny half the day and you get some overhead clouds. To me, being a Northeast Coast guy, it's nothing. I love it. I'm still wearing shorts. I'm still wearing a t-shirt. Maybe I have a little windbreaker with me, but it's just gorgeous. Does it get cool at night? Sure it does, but so what? It doesn't get cold. It's not like back east in the winter in January or something where it's dark and cold and everybody wants to stay inside all the time. So it's really great being out here. So I'm thrilled with that. We've got so many great things coming up on Guys Guys Radio with our show and also with this new show that I'm going to be hosting. And I hope you'll tune in and check it out because it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to be helping people too. So Guys Guys Radio, our special guest today, once again, is Daniel A. Kinderlayer. MD. He's got his book, Recovery from Lyme Disease. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, so let's get it on right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, Guy's Guy's Radio. We're in the interview portion of our show, and I'm pleased to have a, a real specialist in, a, in an area that I think many people uh, can relate to and many people have had issues with, and that is Lyme disease. My special guest is Daniel Kinderlayer. He's an MD, author of uh, Recovery of Lyme Disease, his new book. It's the Integrative Medicine Guide to Diagnosing and Treating Tick-Borne Illness. And uh, the doctor is both a Western you know, traditional doctor and also does steps into the uh, holistic healing area. And I'm a big fan of both because of uh, I think the combination can really help a lot of people uh, with uh, the way you know we live nowadays. So he's a nationally recognized physician with expertise in nutrition, allergy, environmental medicine, Lyme disease, healing body, mind, spirit as a unified whole. I'm a big believer in that also. He co-founded the New England Center for Holistic Medicine in Newbury, Mass. And he's taught extensively, including trainer, training at the Omega Institute, National Institute of Behavioral Medicine, International Lyme and Associated Disease Society. As you can tell, he is an expert on Lyme disease and he's devoted most of his uh, second half of his life to it. His integrated practice is now in Denver, Colorado. And it's a pleasure to bring to Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Daniel Kinderlayer, MD. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. So let's start at the beginning. I was reading your book and realized that, first of all, to be fair, I don't know that much about Lyme disease. I've, I've lived in the Northeast most of my life until moving out to Southern California a few years ago, and I played golf thousands of times, and I, I, I've seen ticks in the backyard cutting lawns. I worked at a landscaping company, and I was fortunate enough, I've never contracted 
Lyme disease. And yet so many people I know have, and I really don't know that much about it. And for our listeners, I'm sure some can relate to it a lot more than others. So let's start at the very beginning because you contracted Lyme disease. What exactly is it? Okay. Lyme disease is a bacterial infection. The bacteria is a spirochete. That's the shape of the bacteria, like a helix. And it is the vector that transmits it in most cases is a deer tick, otherwise known as a black-legged tick. They are very small, very hard to see. And, um, and then lots of complications from there. So I think if we're gonna talk about Lyme disease, we can talk about it in three different places. One is acute Lyme disease, where you may or may not see a tick and you may or may not get a rash. And if you get a rash, it may or may not be a bullseye rash. And that would be the early signs of acute Lyme disease. And if it's treated appropriately right then, generally it's curable. Here's where we get into trouble. Two other things can happen. One is people who are treated what seemed appropriately go on to have chronic symptoms. And these chronic symptoms look for all the world like long COVID, this post-COVID long hauler syndrome. People have, are tired, headaches, muscle aches, uh, joint pains, um, cognitive dysfunction, often mood problems with anxiety and depression, irritability. I could go on and on with the symptoms. And they've been labeled PTLDS for post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. What I can tell you and tell the viewers is that that's a misnomer. It's The Lyme is still there. And the reason it wasn't cured was because they also have co-infections. That is, when the tick implants, it can transmit just not just the Lyme bacteria, but a handful of other bugs. The ticks are, are a veritable cesspool. Uh, a colleague of mine referred to them as nature's dirty needle. So the reason that the Lyme wasn't cured is because there are other bugs there too. And so these people who have the post-Lyme syndrome really are still infected, but they usually virtually always have multiple infections at that point. And then there's a third category of people who never saw a tick attachment, who never saw a rash, who never went through the flu syndrome that often accompanies acute Lyme disease, but they develop a chronic illness, again, it's going to look like post-COVID. Uh, they're often diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Um, they often will present with neuropsych symptoms like the anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and so on. And, and uh, often the diagnosis is missed. I mean, most often the diagnosis is missed. So it's a it's a real exploration, and thank you for uh, your service on this because there's so much going on there, and uh, there's so much discovery that has to take place in every case. I assume. Let's start at the early one. You said sometimes uh, you can get bit and you get treated early. So kind of a two part question. One: Every time a tick bites you, do you get Lyme disease? And number two: What's the process like for being treated early and properly? And what is the percentage of that? It's it's a really good question. Uh, first of all, not every tick attachment leads to getting ill. It depends on whether or not the, the tick uh, uh, was infected itself. And there are certain areas of the country where that's more likely to be the case. So New England, 
is you know was the initial places that it it gained notoriety although it's worth mentioning that the very first case in the United States was in Wisconsin in 1971 and in fact the Great Lakes states is a big area and the northwest is a big area basically the more humid the area the more likely you're going to see a lot of ticks okay so in areas probably like if you went to Long Island and got a tick attachment a, a deer tick we're talking about then 90% chance that that tick was infected with Lyme. But there are other areas where it's gonna be less likely. Even as I say that, Lyme disease has been reported in all 50 states. I live in Colorado, half my patients are from Colorado, the rest are from all over the country and the world. And, and um, I see quite a few patients who got it here in Colorado. And that's despite the fact that the, that the public health department denies you can get it here in Colorado. So it, it, you're not 100% safe anywhere, but there's some places that are a lot more risky than others. And then your question is, well, what's appropriate treatment? And you know, these are simple questions. And you know, oh, I, I guess what I mean is, if I'm um, sorry, let me interrupt. Um, if somebody gets bit. I said, I want to make your job easier here to, to communicate to the folks. If somebody gets bit and they get treated properly, what is that proper treatment and what does that entail? Gotcha. Okay. If someone gets bit by a deer tick and they live in a high endemic area for Lyme disease, such as New England and the... Uh, Great Lake states and the Northwest, I would suggest they get treated. And not the so-called uh, morning after pill, which has been recommended two, two doses of doxycycline, but rather a whole month of antibiotics. That's what I would suggest. Now, that's if, now they don't even necessarily have Lyme disease, they've just had a tick attachment. Let's say someone may or may not have seen a tick attachment, but then goes on to have a rash and more specifically a bullseye rash. And then even within a week, they develop flu-like symptoms. Okay, so they have Lyme. That I would treat those patients for six weeks. But I would also test them for, for these co-infections. Okay. So you do blood tests for that? We do blood tests for that. And then... I told you nothing simple, right? The tests for some of them really aren't that good. So we really have to stay in touch with the patient, really monitor symptoms. And if not everything's okay, then we, we got to keep on going, doing our detective work to see what else is going on. Because if it was only Lyme, they'd be better. Okay. So if somebody gets a tick attachment, you're saying they should go for treatment. So, uh, so that's quite, question number one is what, what should they do? I guess they go see their physician. Is there a specific type of physician? And then two, how long does it take normally to get some type of rash, whether it's the bullseye or it's a, another one that's kind of an oblong shape? Okay, so the rash most commonly might be a slightly oblong salmon colored shape. That's just the most common, mm -hmm. but the classic rash is a bullseye, meaning that it's got a, uh, a pale center with a ring it can even have multiple rings. We see that occasionally. People should go to their family doctor or their internist if, 
if they come down with Lyme disease. And, you know, sadly, I can tell you that many of them are undertreated. Sometimes they only put on a week to 10 days of an antibiotic. Usually it's doxycycline, 100 milligrams a day. And quite frankly, or 100 milligrams twice a day, quite frankly, that's an underdose. We usually treat people, depending on their size, with twice that. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's not going to cover all the co-infections. We still have to follow up and make sure that none of those are brewing. That's where we do tests, but also follow up clinically. Okay. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Daniel Kindleyer, MD. We're just scratching the surface, no pun intended, on Lyme disease. Wow, so much. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. Now, you contracted uh, Lyme disease. What was your experience like, and are you cured? This is a, this will be a good example. So this was in August 1996. I lived in Massachusetts, which is an endemic area. And in the middle of the summer, I came down with a high fever, shaking chills, 104 degrees, drenching sweats, muscle aches all over. And and uh, it lasted for a few days, and then I was okay. And I thought, well, I guess I got some sort of virus. I did not see a tick. I did not. Uh, I did not see a rash. And then, a, and then it recurred in a week. Again, two days, and I was better. And I thought, hmm. But then it occurred for the third time, and I said, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. I went to a friend and colleague, he did some tests, and it's like, oh, you're positive for Lyme disease. And I'm like, great, okay, a simple bacterial infection. But instead of getting better on antibiotics, I got worse. And in addition to the just feeling lousy, I developed severe anxiety and I couldn't sleep. But this anxiety was, was overwhelming. It's like a nine out of 10 impending doom all the time, irrespective of what was happening out there in reality. Uh, I, I, it was terrible. And, and, uh, and I was on these antibiotics. I did another blood test for Lyme. It was even more positive. I was still feeling awful. So I called a person who was considered a world expert at that time. He was at my alma mater, Tufts New England Medical Center. And I presented my case to him. He's very polite and courteous. And his response was, well, you don't have Lyme disease. And I said, I don't. What about the tests? I mean, the tests were a slam dunk. He said, false positive. And I said, well, why, why don't I have Lyme disease? And he said, because if you did, you'd be better by now. And I said, what do I have? And he said, something else. That, that was it. So basically, that was my introduction to the Lyme wars. So he was categorically wrong. I had Lyme disease and he was correct. I had something else. And that was a co-infection named Babesia. Okay. At that point, Babesia was mostly under the radar. People, doctors weren't tuned into it as a common co-infection. I'd like to think that most doctors are more tuned into it at this point, but it can make basically make people much sicker than Lyme does. And now we know about a lot more co-infections since then. But this whole Lyme wars business it has continued to be a huge issue. I think Lyme disease may be the most controversial issue in Western medicine today. Now, just for practical purposes, if somebody's out there, let's say you're playing golf and like you see a tick and it attaches, you know, it, it, it starts, it's on your calf or something like that. What should, what's the proper way to remove that tick 
before it kind of digs in there. Okay. Well, if it's not attached, then you can just brush it off. Okay. Great. That's what you hope for. But this is a good question. I'll tell you what. Because you'll read that if ticks, uh, that ticks need to be attached for at least somewhere between 24 and 48 hours before they're going to transmit infection. It's not true. They can transmit infection in the very act of attachment through their salivary juices. And we know that they do that for certain infections like rickettsia and Powassan virus. I mean, it's been well documented. With Lyme, it's been well documented that it can be transmitted in less than 24 hours. But the sooner you remove the tick, the better. The best way to remove it is don't piss it off. Okay, you know, these old time remedies where they, you know, put a hot match to it and coat it with Vaseline and this and that. Don't do that. You really want to, uh, the more you aggravate the tick, the more likely it is to transmit its contents into you. So you can do one of two things. One is you get a very fine pointed tweezer. You, you catch it at its neck, which is basically as close to the skin as possible. And you apply gentle traction and just be patient because it'll hold on, but if you just keep some gentle traction on there, at some point, it'll let go. Okay, and then you should save the tick, okay? But they, there are also these, I'm not sure, I think they're called tick tabs or something like that. It's something that has a little scoop in it and it actually, you go under the tick and, and you can pull it out with, in one motion with this tab. You can get these things online. Okay, so if you're a golfer, maybe it's a good idea to keep a little tweezer or one of these these tools uh, on your body, so you can, if you, if something happens, then in an uncovered area, that you can get it off quickly. Yes. You know, it's a good idea, even more so for people who are hiking, right. <laughs> doing other things outside. I'm imagining. I'm I'm guessing you're a golfer. That's where you're going. Is that right? uh, I, I'm a golfer, but I also hike. But I, I keep thinking that every time I hear about Lyme disease uh, with the guys I know, it goes back to golfing. That's that's very interesting because I'm not a golfer. I'm thinking that golf courses probably get sprayed a lot, you know, and they're so well kept that um, unless you go, unless you hit the balls in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, yes, you know, I, I can tell you when I travel, I always, regardless of where I travel, I always keep the fine pointed tweezers available. And by the way, a little magnifying glass is not a bad idea, too. I mean, really, two millimeters is is really small. I'm going to have a hard time seeing a two millimeter tick and, right. and saying that's not a freckle unless you feel it, you know, you can feel something sticking out. The ticks like to attach in warm, humid areas. So they're often in the groin, in the armpit, between the buttocks, the scalp. Wow. Um, and so that's why it's good to be, have an intimate relationship with somebody because if you've been in an area where you could get a tick attachment, get checked. Right. I mean, that's, right. that's really the best thing. Okay, is there some type of spray or anything? Let's say you're going to go hiking with your family. Um, can you protect, do anything besides covering up? Can you protect yourself if it's really hot out? Like, well, here we are in Southern California. There's a lot of great hiking trails and stuff. Anything to spray on that is a deterrent? Yes. Um, the best thing is probably spraying permethrin on your clothes. And you can, if you go to REI or Eastern Mountain Sport, places like that, you can buy clothes that are impregnated with this stuff. Wow. Um, 
There are sprays you can put on your skin. There's tick repellents. DDT is not working so much and it actually can cause some neurological issues. I'm not recommending those, those sprays, especially since you wanna put it on your whole body. Um, but there are natural sprays um, that also serve as tick repellents. They are not, a, none of these things are 100%. It's recommended to wear light colored clothing where you're more apt to see a tick, to tuck your pants into your socks so it's harder for them to crawl up under your pants. None of these are perfect. At the end of the day, you still want to have this intimate partner check you out. About your animals, like a lot of people have dogs, they go off you. It's nice to take a hike in the woods with your dog. What can you do to protect the dog? And uh, what type of concern do you have about dogs picking up ticks? And will they get Lyme disease? And can that be uh, transmuted to humans? Okay, so dogs can get Lyme disease. And people with indoor-outdoor pets are more likely to get Lyme disease than people without indoor-outdoor pets. Um, you know, I, uh, when I lived in Massachusetts, it was... It's about 20 years ago now. And, you know, they, we had the special collar on a dog that prevents the ticks from attaching, but it doesn't prevent the ticks from hanging out in their fur, which I could see. And it's really hard if you got a long haired dog getting a tiny tick sure. <laughs> off of it, you know? Um, so I'm not sure if that's been upgraded or not, you know, what veterinarians have to offer. Uh, in terms of actually keeping the ticks off of them, not just not biting them, but they can get sick. And, and interestingly, I don't understand this either. The testing for dogs is supposedly much more accurate than the testing in people. I mean, they have labs, you know, vet labs, dedicated testing animals. And this is also interesting, you know, here in Colorado, I've talked to veterinarians who say, oh, yeah, we see Lyme disease in dogs. That's not that infrequent. But the Department of Public Health is still saying you, humans not, don't get it. So that, that's interesting. My special guest, Dr. Daniel Kinder Layer. The book is Recovery from Lyme Disease, Integrative Medicine Guide to Diagnosing and Treating Tick-Borne Illnesses. And we're just, again, scratching the surface. I want to get the basic information out there for everybody. And this book does a really deep dive. So let's get as much information as we can. Your integrative medicine approach. Um, I'm a big believer in a combination of Western and integrative medicine. How does that approach uh, impact your treatment and a cure and possible cures for Lyme disease? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know how docs dealing with people with chronic illness can do a decent job without an integrative approach. Um, I trained in internal medicine. I did full residency and chief residency in internal medicine. And basically I was trained to deal with people who had chronic illness and help to stabilize them, but not cure anybody. Um, whereas integrative medicine looks at people from a much more functional standpoint. We look at imbalances in the body. So whereas, for example, um, standard internists, if they're looking at the adrenal glands, it would either be, oh, they, they, they're working or they're kaput, meaning they have Addison's disease, but nothing in between. And, and integrative doctors look much more on a functional level. And so we use, and also we use a lot of natural 
natural remedies in terms of vitamins, other supplements. In terms of the antibiotics, what I have found to be most effective is a combination of pharmaceutical antibiotics, prescription antibiotics, and botanical herbal antibiotics. Everybody's different. You know, I make a point in the book that people ask me with some degree of frequency, you know, how do you treat Lyme? And I say, I don't treat Lyme, I treat people. They're all different. If, if you go to a doctor who has a cookbook, that, forget it, you know, because just people respond to different things. But ideally, I try to get them on a combination of natural antibiotics and pharmaceutical antibiotics. And it depends, you know, I'll, I'll just mention one thing. It's not uncommon. I see people who tolerate pharmaceuticals much better than the natural antibiotics. It's interesting because, you know, there's uh, so much more awareness of natural cures and natural remedies and stuff. But however, like I had pneumonia a couple of years ago and I had to get antibiotics because if I didn't, I probably would have ultimately died. And that's why people died at 35, 100 years ago, because they didn't have these things. However, there's very little in our country discussing about, even with COVID, nobody talks about, here's how you strengthen your immune system. Here's what your diet should be like. Here's some of the natural supplements you might want to consider. And I think the combination of that, uh, both, you know, you have to use the pharmaceuticals at certain times and also taking care of yourself as a preventative. And also when you are, are con you contract something as a supplemental way of dealing with some type of disease or an issue, seems like just common sense to me. Have you received any pushback based on your approach that, that uh, combines integrative plus the traditional Western pharmaceutical driven medicine? I have not, but I've received pushback just the fact that I'm treating Lyme disease. <laughs> How so? Well, I mentioned in the beginning the, the Lyme wars and how controversial this diagnosis is. So, there, you know, to break it down, there's basically two schools of thought. The Infectious Disease Society of America believes that Lyme disease is easily diagnosed, easily treated, 10 days to three weeks of antibiotics, you're cured. And if you're still sick, it's something else. Okay. Then there's people like myself who say, well, not so easily diagnosed, often complicated with co-infections and other downstream effects of chronic infection and inflammation and can take long-term treatment. So those are the two schools of thought. And uh, I still, I can tell you that I still have patients who say have to go and go to an ER, an urgent care center, and if they say, well, I'm being treated for chronic Lyme, the doctors start yelling at them. There's no such thing as chronic Lyme. It's, it's, it's a bit nuts making. It, it really is the ignorance uh, that has occurred. Uh, and it's mainly because there are a few people in the, in the Infectious Disease Society of America who are considered the so-called experts who um, frankly have had conflicts of interest and ego issues and don't want to admit they were wrong. Okay. Um, there, but even as I say that, there's increasing acceptance that these people who are still sick after being treated for Lyme disease, that they are still infected. There's increasing acknowledgement of that. So, oh, uh, Doctor, then what is your process? Somebody comes to see you. How do you kind of break down uh, 
their experience? What do you what do you ask them? How do you how do you arrive at your prognosis? How do you kind of go? What's your what's your process? Okay. Well, first of all, for a person to get into my practice, they already have to have a good story and presumably a blood test that says they have Lyme disease. So that's just to get in the door. So when I'm seeing them, I already am rest assured there's a tick-borne infection here. But my process is to do basically a three-hour intake. And we start with, where did you grow up? What was it like? How was your home life? Tell me about any problems you had as a kid. And then we just chronologically take it up to where they are today. And there are a lot of clues along the way that, that you know, asking a lot of questions. It's really medical detective work because we're not just dealing with Lyme. We're dealing with other tick-borne infections. We may be dealing with reactivation of, uh, of an old Epstein-Barr virus, which causes mononucleosis. We're often dealing with food sensitivities, which may have preceded uh, Lyme, but often began after Lyme because Lyme causes so much inflammation that people become sensitized to things. Uh, over, probably half my patients are sensitive to gluten, for example. And, um, and so I'm just asking a ton of questions. And then we put together this problem list, which is a list of basically a list of their symptoms, a list of any laboratory abnormalities. And I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for patterns that suggest different infections, I'm looking for patterns that suggest different hormonal irregularities. I'm looking for, for patterns that, um, that suggest nutritional problems, inability to absorb vitamin B12, whatever. And then we start ordering more tests and, and we start treatment. Okay. So that's... That's a summary of a three-hour process. All right. Now, some of the symptoms for those folks out there who are not that familiar with Lyme disease and what it can do, I jotted some of them down from your book. Fatigue, headaches, joint pain, muscle aches, cognitive impairment, mood disorders, and potentially anxiety, shortness of breath, and, and night sweats. Uh, do you need to have a, a kind of combination of these to, uh, let's say somebody just has some of these things. Uh, could they have contracted Lyme disease years ago and not been aware of it? Yes, that's, and I'm glad you're making this point. This is really not uncommon. I would say most of my patients actually have been sick for years, have no idea that they got Lyme disease when they were younger, and, but developed a chronic fatiguing illness along with some depression and muscle aches and joint pains and then the headaches and then the brain fog. And... Um, or the neuropsych symptoms actually uh, were so pronounced that they ended up being sent to the psychiatrist and all the, the physical symptoms are being ignored at that point. Um, so it's, it's really quite common that people get these infections that it doesn't cause a very obvious acute Lyme syndrome. A lot of people just don't get that rash and get the, the flu syndrome, but over time, they develop these other symptoms, and it may be quite delayed, and it may not happen till there's some other stress, like a divorce, or head trauma, or a medication like a, a corticosteroid that suppresses the immune system. 
Um, there are a lot of, or a mold encounter. I mean, there are a lot of stresses that can suddenly take a dormant infection and lead to its activation, and then they're sick. Okay, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV here on YouTube is Dr. Daniel Kindelayer, and we're talking about his book, Recovery from Lyme Disease. Just a fascinating discussion. Uh, and I, me being just a layman on here, I'm just your guy's guy. I'm asking questions that I would ask just being me. And also if I was out there listening, I try to represent everybody. So I found a couple of things from your other interviews, uh, terms that I was not aware of, but it seems like this Lyme disease uh, uh, can go in so many different directions. So there's something called the Basia and another called Bartonella. What what are those? Okay, so I referred to co-infections. I was to remind the, the, re the listeners that these ticks are repositories for different microbes. They're cesspools of different microbes, okay? And Lyme is, is just one. I mean, when I say Lyme, Lyme is the disease. The bug is Borrelia burgdorferi. And then Babesia. Babesia is actually not a bacteria. It's a protozoa, and it's more closer to the family of malaria. And that's what tends to cause severe night sweats, but often migraines and neck pain and chest pain and shortness of breath. And Bartonella is yet another uh, common, really common microbe inside these deer ticks. And Bartonella, they all can cause this whole range of symptoms that you've already mentioned, but Bartonella is particularly known for causing neuropsych problems. When I see people with severe anxiety and depressive syndromes, uh, and, I, and even people with outright psychosis and bipolar, Bartonella is is often often a, a cause of that. Um, it's really crazy. Um, I can go into studies. There was a recent study suggesting Bartonella may be a cause of schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Um, it, it's you know sadly I think that these bugs are a lot more common than we realize. I think they cause a ton of neuropsychiatric problems and that they go undiagnosed. I want to share with you that, that um, uh, a colleague of mine and I did a study on some kids who are in residential treatment center for mental health reasons. They all had major depressive disorder. They're all adolescents. Seven out of the 10 had generalized anxiety disorder. There were multiple suicide attacks and other issues like ADHD. And basically, they were all diagnosed with psychiatric labels. But we went in there and tested 10 of them at random. Depending on how you interpret the tests, somewhere between five and nine of them had evidence of tick-borne infections. Amazing, amazing. And, but, but listen to this. This is really crazy. We did something called a Cunningham panel. A Cunningham Cunningham panel measures antibodies to nerves in the brain, okay, antineuronal antibodies that causes a syndrome. It's associated with a syndrome called PANS, pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome, where kids are known to get an infection and then develop off the cliff severe neuropsychiatric issues. Nine out of 10 of these kids had antineuronal antibodies suggesting they had actually an autoimmune encephalopathy. And, you know, here they were being treated for depression and anxiety, which is appropriate, but underlying that was a serious organic disorder 
totally undiagnosed. And when you look at the numbers of American adolescents in particular, but Americans in general who are being treated and diagnosed with, you know, not just anxiety and depression, but like I said, sure. bipolar and psychosis, I, I, I would put money on it that there's a significant fraction of them that actually have organic disorders and microbial infections in particular. Mold. What is the relationship? I found it interesting in uh, watching a couple of your interviews and checking out the book that there's a correlation between mold and Lyme disease. What is that? It's really fascinating. In the old days, old days is like 10 years ago, <laughs> um, I, I would think of mold as possibly a problem in someone if they weren't getting better. But now I, I see mold problems so frequently that I'm always looking for it even the first time I see a patient. So just to give a broad overview, it's not uncommon that I'll have a patient and it turns out they're living in a moldy house, but all the other occupants in the house are fine. The person with Lyme is really reacting. So uh, a lot of molds associated with indoor water damage elaborate toxins. So people can get sensitive to the mold. I'm just reminding the listeners that that one of the one of the impacts of these chronic infections is people develop sensitivity syndrome. So now they're sensitive to mold that they may not have been before, just like now they're sensitive to foods that they weren't before. So they're reacting to the mold, but then they're also accumulating toxins that are being elaborated by this mold. And these molds are inhaled and ingested, and now you have fungal colonization inside you that you can be reacting to, and now you have uh, some endogenous machinery that it, Inside, you're making mold toxins. So these mold toxins also cause problems with immune function, nervous system function, and endocrine function, and and you know if really high levels, end organ damage. And so they're going to get in the way of treating the infections. So basically, you know, when we see people who are difficult to treat, you know, we're we're always looking for mold, and amazingly, finding it in, in just a high number high number of patients, and this is even in Colorado considered dry, right? But all it takes is water trapped behind some walls under a sink where there's a drip behind some tiles where the grout wasn't so good. And you got, I've seen houses that are just disasters. Okay, my special guest, uh, Guys Guys Radio and TV is Daniel Kinderlayer, uh, medical doctor, uh, Recovery from Lyme Disease is the book, The Integrative Medicine Guide to Diagnosing and Treating Tick-Borne Illnesses. Uh, last question, kind of a two-parter, and it's a big question too. One, what, what do you want readers to get out of your book? It's a big, chunky book. It's got a lot of information in there. It's got a lot of detail. It's got a lot of scientific information, medical information. And two, how can people just living their day-to-day -day lives be aware of but not paranoid about dealing with uh, ticks and just going about living their lives? What do they need to know? Okay, another two-part. So um, the book, you know, I, I think... <laughs> you know, it's so interesting to me. Um, people have, have told me, wow, you know, I got your book and I and uh, I read it in the next few days. And I'm like, really? Wow. It took me four years. To <laughs> <laughs> that means it's a good book. And, and I guess so. But it's so but it is dense, you know, and I try to make it make it not so dense by, mm -hmm. first of all, using lay language, trying to make things, you know, 
very, very easily discernible, but also a lot of case histories. I want people to be able to relate to the patients that I'm describing and they can say, oh, I have that and I have that. No wonder I'm sick. So I actually thought of writing this book first just for doctors because, you know, I've lived a long life. I have a ton of experience in a lot of different realms. And uh, before COVID, I was having doctors sit in with me a lot. I've lectured extensively and developed courses, and I enjoy that. And and basically, the the book was my point of my way of passing down to doctors. Here's what I learned, you know, and here's how step by step you can start evaluating and figure out how to diagnose and treat these people. But I realized very quickly before I even started writing. Most of the people buying this book are going to be patients, not doctors, right? So, so um, I I realized what a service it would be to explain things to patients who, frankly, are sometimes smarter than their doctors, who who um, can become knowledgeable and empowered. There are a lot of things in the book that the patients can do on their own, and then there are other stuff they can go to their doctor and say, "Hey, look." here's what I'm reading about. I'd like you to do this or that test that's recommended. And let's see if that's an issue for me. And so I, and, and one other thing, this is basically encapsulated in chapter three, which goes back to the Lyme Wars. Chapter three is anatomy of the Lyme Wars. I want to give people the evidence-based basis for the fact that these infections are real and what they're being told by their Docs who are not educated, particularly the infectious disease docs who believe something else, with some exceptions, uh, that no, here is the data, you know, check it out. This is real. And and the data is strong. It's really strong. Uh, You know, just, uh, you know, this goes back to 2001. I was in the office of one of the only infectious disease doctors in the country who was actively treating and reporting on chronic Lyme was Dr. Sam Dante at University Hospital in in Boston, part of Boston University. And I'm in his office and there's a New England journal that has three articles on Lyme disease, which of course I've read. And and I said, and these were incredibly flawed studies, really flawed. They should, it should never been reached the light of day. And I said to Sam, I said, how does this garbage get printed? And he said, you know, Dan, never before have I witnessed in the in medicine when so few people had so much influence and were so wrong. But it's just continued from there. And the fact is the, the data is with us. You know, people are more and more aware of how serious it is. And I have, well, I just had a patient today. He's a doctor in North Carolina. I have a whole bunch of patients who are doctors. And so it, the tide is changing, but unfortunately, it's slow. Are you an optimist or a pessimist about the future with this, with Lyme disease? <laughs> with Lyme disease, I'm an, I'm an optimist about our treatment of Lyme disease. Yeah, we're, get, we're getting better all the time. Okay, guys, guys, radio and TV, my special guest, Dr. Daniel Kinderlayer, MD. Um, the book is Recovery from Lyme Disease. Where can people find out more about you, doctor? Well, uh, uh, I actually finally, ha- you know, I haven't had a website because I never wanted one and, and I certainly don't need it. I have a ton of patients. But 
because of the book, there's now a website called recoveryfromlime.com. And the, the book is available on Amazon, really any bookstore. And there are a whole bunch of reviews from, from doctors, pre-publication right. reviews. Okay. Well, thanks for being on Guys Guys Radio. You're doing great work. You're a guys guy and you really service, you're, you're providing a service and uh, good luck and keep up doing the great work you're doing, Dr. Kindler. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, that was a very illuminating and informative conversation with Dr. Daniel A. Kinderlayer, MD, talking about Lyme disease, how to recognize it, how to overcome chronic infection, how to recover from Lyme disease, and wow, it is something that you just don't want to get. And what did we learn today? I think we learned that Lyme disease shows up in many different forms at many different times and many different symptoms. And you have to just be careful. Like anything else, you have to use your own preventive, preventive medicine by making sure if you're outdoors, you keep yourself covered up. Maybe you want to put some type of uh, anti-tick lotion on or, or, or whatever, but just be careful and make sure that you do a, an inspection of you and your animals and your kids and Make sure you don't get ticks on you, and if you do, get them off, and if you do get bit, get to a physician right away to get checked out, and also be very careful and mindful when you're choosing your physicians, because it sounded like uh, there are a lot of different physicians and uh, medical doctors have different approaches and different opinions about this chronic disease, and nobody really has the magic pill or all the answers. So you're going to have to take care of yourself, and that's what we do. I think once COVID hit, Everybody realized that in many ways we're on our own here. And that's okay as long as we know that, that we have to do the best we can do. So strengthen your immune system, eat the right foods, take the supplements you believe in and do the research on, get enough rest, hydrate, meditate, do all the things that are going to give you the best shot at staying healthy. And you take it from there. That's no guarantees, but you probably put yourself in a better position to stay in good health if you eat a proper diet, and you take care of yourself. And I think that's just common sense. But, you know, we never hear that from the media. We never hear that from our leaders. Uh, and it's something that's so important. And that's really is you got to take care of yourself. And there's things you can do to put yourself in the best position to be taking good care of yourself. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific time. 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM. The podcast and my YouTube drop every Thursday. The KCAA show rebroadcasts every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So you've got no excuse not to listen to Guys Guys Radio because you can hear it, you can watch it, you can download it, you can stream it, you can listen live. We're here for you. My website is robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about everything from life, life, love, the pursuit of happiness. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, which is the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about two guys in advertising in New York City competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's got some savvy women, some flawed guys. It's got redemption. It's got sex. It's got revenge. It's got friendship. 
and I think you'll really enjoy it because the book's a rom-com. It's been called The Male Successor in Sex in the, to Sex in the City, yet it is about something, and it's a lot of fun at the same time. So check it out. You can pick it up wherever you buy your books. Obviously, you can go to Amazon or any of the online retailers and get a download. But however you want to buy it, it's okay by me as long as you pick up a copy or consider it. You can also catch me all over social media. As I mentioned, I have a new YouTube channel. We call it Guys Guys TV, but you can just put in my name, Robert Manny, to find it. And we have every interview on of Guys Guys Radio, the interview section, uh, you can watch. And we started doing that a few months ago, and we're going to keep doing that. And it's the response has been wonderful. But if you want to get the whole show and listen to it, then it's either KCAA or the Worldwide Podcast. But we thank you. I thank my guests. I thank all my listeners out there. And our audience is growing and growing, and it's growing worldwide. We're so pleased we've got, we're broken to the top 75 in Denmark and in Canada and in Australia and in the UK and in France and Spain. And we're in the top 200, I believe, in the United States. And we're also in the top 100 in Australia in our category. So we're thrilled, and we've got lots more great guests coming coming your way in the upcoming weeks and months. I'm here for you at Guys Guys Radio. I want to put a special shout-out out there for my producer, Chris Marcello. She does a wonderful job. She's always got my back, and she's just been wonderful, and she's so much fun to work with, and I just want to say shout-out. Thank you, Chris. And also, I want to uh, mention Noba. Noba does our uh, soundtrack. They're a band from back east. And they have some terrific music out there. Just check them out on Apple Music or iTunes, wherever you get your music. N-O-B-A, Noba. And the theme song is called Uninspired, even though we're very inspired here at Guys Guys Radio. So we're going to be back here next week with another show. Until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Finish first.